Welcome to this very special interview on Vitality Radio. I'm going to be interviewing two authors, but also editors. Uh, and in this case, they are the editors of a book, not the authors of a book called Turtles All the Way Down. The, uh, the editors that I'll be talking to are Mary Holland and Zoe O'Toole. They are the ones that took the Israeli uh, version of this book and uh, translated it into English for us so that we could have it here in America. This topic is, to say the least, extremely controversial. And I'm no stranger to controversial topics uh, with health and nutrition. I certainly have my fair share of opinions on these topics, and I certainly don't have a problem opening my mouth about them. However, you may be listening and wondering what this is all about. Maybe this is new information for you. If it is new information, I highly recommend that you do two things. Recognize first that this is this book, Turtles All the Way Down, is not opinions. This book is based 100% on research. 1,200 different references are used in the writing of this book, were used in the writing of this book. And that matters because, as I say on Vitality Radio all the time, my opinions shouldn't matter to you other than being a source of information that you can then check out and decide for yourself what you want to do with. And there's no difference with today's episode. Just that today's episode is more controversial, more hot of a topic than a lot of the things that I typically discuss on Vitality Radio. And as I said on my episode years ago that I wrote uh, called It's Time to Speak Your Truth, during the COVID years, I caught so much grief for that episode that I aired on the radio locally. In fact, that was the last episode that I aired on the radio where I got real controversial because they really threatened to take me off the air after nearly 14 years on the air at that point. And I learned a couple of lessons. One is when you speak your truth and your truth happens to be controversial, you will receive backlash for that speaking, I guess you could say. And that requires a little bit of courage. And it has been an interesting thing to witness those among us who have been willing to speak up uh, be shoved into our little echo chambers where the only people that listen to us are people that already agree with us. And that's the challenge with a podcast. Here I have a podcast where you're chosen intentionally to listen to what I have to say, which would indicate that you, at least up to this point, have liked a lot of what I've had to say. You may not like what this interview is about. I don't know. I don't know the vast majority of people that listen to this show and haven't had these conversations. So what I would ask you is to listen with an open mind recognizing that, A, this is nobody's opinion. These are actual facts that can be documented and have been documented. And that this information, much like the truth during the last couple of years, is heavily censored and has been made very difficult to find. Those who talk about these things are called radicals and heretics and conspiracy theorists and all kinds of other things. I am bringing you this episode because I believe this is a truth that needs to be told. It's really as simple as that. And 
I'm okay with anybody's opinion coming out of this episode, but I would encourage you to at least listen to the episode. Here's my interview with Zoe O'Toole and Mary Holland from Children's Health Defense about their new book, Turtles All the Way Down. Okay, so as I said, I do have two wonderful guests joining me today on Vitality Radio, and I'm really excited to introduce them to you. Now, I've been following the work of one of these uh, wonderful people for quite some time, and the other one is uh, is new to me. I just uh, met, met her just a moment ago uh, right here on this recording. So I'm going to first introduce uh, Mary Holland. Mary and I were... Uh, fortunate enough to speak at a conference called the Your Health Freedom Symposium in Salt Lake City just a few weeks ago, and that's where we met, and uh, I found out about this book that we're going to talk about today, and I wanted to bring Mary on, and she also asked if she could bring her uh, co-editor on, Zoe O'Toole. So I'm going to introduce you to both of them. Let me tell you a little bit about Mary first. So Mary uh, has had her hand in a few books. Uh, She did a book called uh, The HPV Vaccine on Trial and another one called Vaccine Epidemic. Uh, and this book is maybe the most comprehensive uh, that I've seen on the topic of vaccines. I, I want to introduce Mary just simply by a quote that, uh, that she has that I think is really powerful in terms of um, displaying her motivation as to doing what she does. So first off, she's the president and general counsel of Children's Health Defense uh, and has been involved in the vaccine choice and health freedom movement for over two decades now. The quote that I mentioned is, once I learned about the extreme liability protection that industry and healthcare providers enjoy and the suppression of accurate science and information about vaccine risk and injury, I understood the need for immediate radical systemic change. I've been devoted to that change ever since. Uh, so I first will uh, go ahead and introduce Mary Holland to you. Mary, welcome to Vitality Radio. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we bring Zoe in, I want to uh, I want you to elaborate just a little bit on that little quote that I just hit there. Well, most people still don't know, Jared, that in 1986, Congress passed a very important law, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And that act essentially gave almost blanket liability protection to vaccine manufacturers, to healthcare providers. Uh, and it was supposed to provide compensation for children and then for adults who are injured by vaccines. But basically, it doesn't really provide compensation, and it does incentivize industry and healthcare practitioners to give as many vaccines as possible. So since 1986, the vaccine schedule has exploded, as has in tandem, in a clear correlation, the rate of chronic disease among children in the United States. Over 50% of American children have a chronic health condition, be it asthma, autism, ADHD, allergies, diabetes, people are not well, children in particular are not well. And, and, and in fact, then in the COVID context, another important law that Congress passed in 2005 gave even more liability protection, even to the government planners for pandemic preparedness. 
So we're dealing with a very, um, uh, you know, we're dealing with a group that has immunity from any kind of legal consequence, and that incentivizes bad behavior. So we can talk more about it. But that's what this new book, Turtles All the Way Down, is really about, that it has this, these laws have incentivized bad behavior. And we see how that bad behavior has been implemented in the childhood vaccine program in Turtles All the Way Down. Right, excellent. Thank you for that introduction. And then Zoe O'Toole is a writer and editor currently working for Children's Health Defense as their publisher liaison. Uh, she covered vaccine science for many years as the professor, the editor of the blog at the Thinking Moms Revolution, and as editor of a series of 15 videos on vaccine science for the website vaccinecourse.org, which unfortunately has not yet launched uh, due to COVID. Now, Zoe, I, I mentioned earlier that I didn't know who you were until just this morning, except that I did know professor uh, from Thinking Mom's, Mom's <laughs> Revolution. So I guess I did meet you kind of prior to this. Welcome to Vitality Radio. Thank you. Uh, that's been the case for a lot of people. Uh, when we started TMR, we decided we were going to use nicknames. And um, I was one of the people who didn't mind being out there, but a number of our, our participants didn't want their names out there. So my name sometimes is out there and sometimes isn't out there. Now, I'll just go ahead and ask that question. Why would somebody be concerned about having their name out there associated with this vaccine debate? The biggest people concern people had was either for uh, their own or their spouse's careers or for their children. They were afraid their children were going to get reprisals. And in school, if people found out what they were doing and what they were talking about, that their children would face discrimination, among other things. So it's an interesting and I would say almost totally unique situation when it comes to medicine in this country. Vaccines uh, kind of fall into their own little category in so many different ways. And one of those ways is they seem to be the one area of medicine that cannot be questioned. Um, and, uh, of course, books like Turtles All the Way Down uh, question a lot. So what, what do you think it is about the dogma of vaccines that leaves them as the unquestionable medicine? I, I find that uh, the, the key question because... There doesn't seem to be a lot of difference between vaccines, say, and antibiotics. And yet you can hear um, critical thinking on antibiotics in the mainstream media. You can hear doctors saying, we overprescribe antibiotics. And it's going to be the end of the antibiotic era because we're, we're creating antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria. So if we can cr criticize antibiotics, which are similar in their use, why can't we criticize vaccines? And for the most part, I think we can't criticize vaccines because they are so profitable. Well, I think, Zoe, they're so profitable and also they're so dangerous. There are catastrophic injuries and deaths from vaccines. I think antibiotics, antibiotics as well. There are from antibiotics, but I don't, uh, my own personal opinion is not quite on the same scale as from 
vaccines. And because the establishment has been covering up the harms from vaccines for so long, for decades, I think the investment in protecting against the truth is even stronger than for antibiotics. But that's just my impression that that that, that there's a big cover up that's been going on for a long time because the harms are so grave. They're really, you know, your child, you, you think you're protecting your child from measles or mumps and your child becomes brain injured. No parent is going to feel like that was a good trade off. And so this information has had to be suppressed for decades. When it finally comes out, there will be public rage when this finally gets unpacked. And it ultimately will do will be because it's the truth. There will be a level of rage that I think is not yet understood. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a it's an interesting topic because it does seem to be well, it doesn't seem to be it is taboo uh, to the largest degree. Um, <clears throat> people like yourself, Zoe, have uh, had, you know, uh, ghost writing names, pseudonyms, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, t- for your own personal protection. And we've seen what's happened to doctors who have come out and uh, with and their scientists. name and their license and scientists and have been um, discredited, have had lost their licenses. There's all kinds of abuse that they've taken. Mary, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, it's not even just limited to doctors and scientists. Look at uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as an example, the chairman of Children's Health Defense. I mean, he's called a neo-Nazi. He's called an anti-Semite. He's called racist. I mean, it, the, uh, the, the vitriol is, is not limited. If anybody who says there's a problem here, there's a very serious problem, runs the risk of being gaslighted and demeaned and uh, lose jobs, lose income. Bobby's lost income. I, I face some discrimination within an academic setting. It, it doesn't really matter what your profession is. If you step out of line on this orthodoxy, there will be consequences. You may not anticipate what they are, but this is an orthodoxy that is extremely rigid and it is an extremely powerful orthodoxy. It's true. Anybody can face consequences and they can be completely unexpected ones. I, at one point I lost a job. I, I think I lost a writing job because of what I did. And it wasn't something you could necessarily say, but I think that's why. I was perfect for that job. Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> topic. So, so then we have two women here that I'm speaking with who have their names on a book. And yet the book is an interesting book. You didn't write the book. So let's talk a little bit about the history of the book. Where did it come from? And how did the two of you get involved? Well, I attended a conference in Tel Aviv, Israel in November 2019. So just three years ago, although it seems a little bit like a lifetime ago. And um, one of the sponsors for this large conference about vaccines was um, a group that had put that had written a book in Hebrew, turtles all the way down. And so there was an image of these turtles. And I was perplexed, what, what is this about turtles? But people were talking about this book <clears throat> and there was a QR code on the back. And I thought, well, let me, I can't read the Hebrew, but let me check out the references. References are, as, to me as a former academic, references are incredibly important and they're incredibly important to us at Children's Health Defense. And I looked at the QR code and here were over 1,200 references. And they were to the CDC and the FDA and the NIH and the Journal of American Medical Association and New England Journal and 
British Medical Journal. And I was like, wow, these are impressive references. I, I really want to know more about this book. So I reached out to the organizers of the conference and I said, could you put me, and it was an anonymous group of authors. And for the reasons that Zoe explained, because of potential reprisals and so on. So I said, but could you, you know, on an anonymous basis, could you connect me to those authors? I'd really love to read the first chapter. It seems to me we should have this book in English. So I was connected to the Authors Collective and I don't know their real names. I don't know their real background. I talked with them over Skype and, you know, with no video. Um, but they asked, they, they speak fluent English and, um, but not perfect. And so they asked me if I would edit their English. I said, sure, I'll do that to the best of my ability, but I have a very full-time job at Children's Health Defense. And so I started doing that and it really became too much work for me to get it done. So knowing Zoe, I reached out and said, I have the perfect person for you. And so Zoe really picked up where I left off on editing this book to have it in colloquial, readable English. And I, I think we've achieved that really beautifully. And um, and I'm so grateful that that they that we were able to be in touch because I really do believe that this book adds a lot to the catalog of books that we have had written over the last 30 years about the problems with vaccines. There have been many other books. Vaccine Epidemic was one that I was deeply involved in as an author and an editor. But there have been many excellent books about vaccines by Dr. Paul Thomas. Um, vaccines 2.0 by Mark Blaxel and Dan Olmsted. There have been many excellent books, but this book really attacks very in a with a laser-like focus and yet in a and in a very erudite way yet a very accessible way there is no safety undergirding the childhood vaccine schedule that is now global there is no safety it's turtles all the way down there's no there there it doesn't talk about effectiveness there are many topics that are left out but it zeroes in on the fact that the safety claims are absolutely spurious. And it proves that to you in a very rigorous way. So it is an interesting thing because now, of course, post-COVID or whatever era of COVID we're in, I guess, because it's certainly not over, over. Um, but uh, this whole safe and effective thing, you know, for years, safe and effective, <clears throat> excuse me, Safe and effective have been the two words that have been used. It's like a it's like a tagline or a, a promotional slogan for vaccines, right? And then, of course, we heard that ad nauseum during COVID with the COVID vaccines, which, interestingly enough, many, 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 many people have been questioning the COVID vaccines, including people that would consider themselves all in on the vaccine schedule and you know, vaccinate all their children uh, on time for all the things. And yet safe and effective has been the same thing that's been trumpeted time and time again. And that seems to be the answer to all of the questions that a parent might have when they go into their pediatrician is, well, what about this vaccine? It's okay. It's safe and effective. So why is it, what is it about those words that seem to have been so effective <laughs> in promoting vaccination all of these years when when we look behind the curtain like we do in this book it's quite clear that neither of those statements can be backed up very effectively at all well one of the things that um that has always struck me about that mantra safe and effective is that with that they're implying that anything that is called a vaccine falls under this category 
And therefore, when you're saying vaccines are safe and effective, what they're implying is that all vaccines are completely safe and totally effective. And those three little implied additions come across to people. It actually settles in their brains and that's what they think based on this, this promotional slogan. But that's not true. Every single vaccine has a different safety and effectiveness pro profile. And they're going to have a different safety and effectiveness profile for different people because everyone reacts differently to them. Everyone's immune system is different. They're all going. And what a lot of people don't know is that vaccine manufacturers have to trade off safety and effectiveness. If they tried to make a 100% effective vaccine, it wouldn't be that safe. There would be a lot of people who would be hurt. If they tried to make a completely safe vaccine, it wouldn't be that effective. It wouldn't tr stop transmission of any disease completely. So there's always this trade-off. So people don't realize that, that every vaccine is going to hurt someone because their immune system is going to react to it differently. So when they're talking about safety and effectiveness, they're talking a very broad sense, but people are interpreting it in a personal, it's going to be fine for me way. And that's not appropriate. That makes, makes a lot of sense. And it's, easier i think too for people to just go along with what everybody else is doing right which i think is why the messaging was exactly how it was during covid is you know we're all in this together and everybody's going to do the right thing and by doing the right thing we're all going to bring this thing to a close together and the same could be said about you know childhood um, immunization or vaccination or whatever they want to call it so then in the book, I, I think this is really interesting timing. Um, I, this obviously hasn't escaped either of you, but coming out of COVID as it, it has been, and especially interesting to me coming out of Israel, where there was such a massive stir about the COVID vaccine and their high vaccination rates. And then of course, the pretty obvious failure of those vaccines to prevent anything really. Um, the timing seems incredibly right for a book like this to come out because my experience has been that people that never were paying attention to this topic at all have had their eyes open to, well, wait a minute, maybe there's more to this vaccine safety thing and vaccine effectiveness thing than I ever thought before. I think that's exactly right, Jared. This book is very specifically about childhood vaccines and that schedule is globalized. Um, but it, following on the heels of this massive um, propaganda campaign about COVID shots, people are now much more aware that this is a concern. People have seen that people have been injured from these COVID shots or people have died shortly after getting COVID shots. And so there's a level of interest and a level of open-mindedness that we really didn't see before. When it only affected children, when the, the vaccine paradigm only affected children, parents generally were willing to say, well, I will rely on the judgment of my child's pediatrician. I will listen to the doctors. But now that adults have had to take these shots themselves and their own experience is this is harmful. I, I don't feel the same. My health has been compromised by these shots. 
now adults are willing to look at the childhood schedule and look at this medical coercion, this kind of proto-medical tyranny with new eyes. And I think in that sense, you're absolutely right that the timing is, is fortuitous. And I think what we're seeing is that the skepticism that we now see towards COVID shots is spilling over towards the childhood program. And for that, I personally am very grateful because the childhood program has been harming millions of children around the world for decades. And yet there has not been much public mobilization around that. So one of the things that I think, too, is that um, a lot of people are now aware of the irregularities, shall we say, in the um, COVID trials and how the a lot of the data has been suppressed and things like that. And there, a lot of people are still thinking that this is a one-off. This was done for this vaccine. And what the Turtles book shows people is that, no, this is not a one-off. This is the standard playbook. They are doing exactly the same sort of tactics they've been doing for decades and getting away with. So they thought they were gonna get away with it this time, but it was on such a massive scale in adults who can talk about their injuries rather than infants who can't, then they're finding that, oh wait, maybe we're not gonna get away with it this time. And that's what we're hoping. We're hoping that it's, it's blown so open that everybody's gonna look behind the curtain now. Well, and it seems to me that uh, the timing of, of this interview even maybe is uh, even more interesting because it's just been in the last week or so. In fact, it was just last week I had Del Bigtree on my show and we were talking about what just happened with uh, ASIP and their uh, approving the COVID vaccines for the childhood schedule. So now we have these two things that are married together, the experimental use COVID vaccine and the childhood yeah, schedule. And now they're together. And it's not just, it's an interesting thing. I want parents to recognize that this isn't a one-off uh, vaccine that they're saying, hey, your, your child needs to get this thing. It's your child needs to get this thing for 18 years uh, on, the, on the vaccine schedule. Twice or three times a year, Jared. I mean, this is actually amping up the whole paradigm to a level that has never been done before, not even with the flu vaccine, which is so problematic. What they are proposing is so radical uh, that I, it, it's absolutely waking people up. And people are saying no. You know, people are and really now saying no. It was unanimous, 15 to nothing, that this dangerous vaccine with very little upside for a child was going to be given to a child every year. That's crazy. And a lot of people see that that's just crazy. And once they see that that's crazy, they're going to start thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Over 80% of children have natural immunity, Jared. Most children acquired antibodies to COVID completely without symptoms. This is the CDC's own data. I think it's over 85%. It is absolutely ludicrous that you would give children a shot every year for something to which they are already immune. That could give them heart problems. I mean, that's crazy. Right, but even crazy. if the shot was safe, it wouldn't make sense, right? And then the right, fact that we have the safety issue. issues. Right? Exactly. So then that is an interesting way to segue back into the book, though, because when we, I think the average parent, you know, walking around having children in this country today is under the impression that 
every vaccine is for a disease that is horrifyingly dangerous to their child, whether it be measles or polio or mumps or, you know, pick the pick the illness. And COVID itself, yeah, chickenpox might be my favorite uh, example, actually. COVID itself, which is has been proven not to be dangerous to children, and and on top of that, they've proven to uh, to gain immunity very very easily to COVID. Um, what vaccines would you say, or or what childhood illnesses would you say that we're vaccinating for that maybe are as ridiculous as COVID in terms of the potential benefit to the child? Certainly, chickenpox. Most yeah, it's got to got to be number one on my list. I think. Yeah, the, there are so few. Um negative effects sequelae to chickenpox that it just doesn't make sense. And their parents have had chickenpox. So their parents are going to have shingles later on because they're not getting the natural boosting from the children having chickenpox. So then because they get shingles, that virus is still out there and transmissible. And so now we need the shingles shot. It's, it's one of those cascades that just doesn't make sense to start on. And you can see that in the UK, they don't vaccinate for chickenpox normally because it just doesn't make sense. Well, that's interesting. I didn't realize that wasn't on the schedule over there. Nope. Another one, Jared, is is the hepatitis B vaccine for infants at birth. No infant is at risk of hepatitis B full stop unless their mother was hepatitis B positive and that could be targeted. This is really being done on a population basis really because it was possible that that was put on the schedule after this congressional 1986 act and you know children just aren't exposed to hepatitis b they're not you know intravenous drug users or having promiscuous sex it's just absolutely inappropriate and by the time that children might be at risk of getting hepatitis b likely any benefit from this shot has already worn off. So that's another one that is absolutely nonsensical and very dangerous. Children die, infants die from the hepatitis B vaccine every year. Um, In fact, we saw a decline in sudden infant death during COVID when parents weren't taking their infants to pediatrician visits. So there are things on the schedule that just make no sense whatsoever. But because of the liability protection and because of the coercion and because of the orthodoxy, they just continue with the life of their own. Another favorite of mine, which isn't covered in the book because it's given to older children, is the meningitis vaccines. They have approximately a 1% serious adverse event rate. So 1% of the 4 million kids in the United States, they get this vaccine and you have a huge number of um, adverse events. And we're talking things that send kids to the hospital. The actual illness is very serious, but is super rare. (laughs) So rare, in fact, that the chance that most children are going to get any benefit from this vaccine is very, very low. And then when you consider that from a herd immunity aspect, most cases of meningitis are not associated with an outbreak. According to the CDC, 98% of meningitis cases are not associated with an outbreak. So you are not protecting your neighbor if you get this vaccine. And so you're, you're talking about making so many more children sick with the vaccine than would have been sick without it. It's just, it's 
mind-boggling. So then that leads back to the question. It's it's really interesting because when the if someone listening to this has had a debate uh, with a friend or a family member or a neighbor or whatever about vaccines, there are some very specific. Um, I guess, knee-jerk responses that people give when whenever these things are questioned. And one of those things is, well, you know, th- th- you talked at the very, very beginning about the financial benefit of uh, these vaccines and how much money is there. But parents are under the impression, I think, largely that their pediatrician's not making any money doing vaccines and vaccines aren't worth all that much money. There's not that much money in vaccines. I've heard that argument as a kind of a counter argument for years. So what does, what does it really look like financially and, and who is benefiting from the vaccine schedule? Well, Jared, it is a multi-billion dollar industry and it's a growth industry and the profit margin on vaccines is actually higher than on most other medical products. But the real money in the vaccine schedule, so so individual pediatricians do make money on their well baby visits. That is the business model for pediatricians. And they also do get kickbacks from the medical insurers if they have a certain percentage of the children have compliance with the vaccine schedule. So there's double compensation directly to the pediatrician. But at a more macro level, and I don't know that pediatricians think about this, but at a macro level, these vaccines are likely causing or they are cofactors in the chronic illness epidemic in this country. And that is where all the money is for pharma. It is on the inhalers. It is on the EpiPens. It is on the asthma drugs. It is on the anti-depression drugs. It is on the autism drugs. That's where pharma is making billions and billions of dollars is on the chronic health epidemic in this country. People are, children are sick and they will need certain drugs for their lifetimes. And that is where the racket comes in. The the vaccines are the indispensable component to set up these chronic health epidemics. That's it's a great point, but they are very profitable on their own, too, because think about it. When something gets added to the childhood schedule, that means it's automatically given three times maybe to four million kids every year. So that's a huge number of doses. And then when something gets added to the CDC schedule, it often gets added across the world. So they're going to make money elsewhere as well. And once they do that, they don't have to advertise. This is a captured audience. In, you know, the, the pediatricians say, oh, it's on the schedule. I can give you this vaccine on this day, whatever. They, there's no having to put it on TV or put it in the trade journals or anything. There's no cost with, associated with that. So the vaccine companies are making money hand over fist with these things. And especially with the newer ones that are more expensive, like the HPV vaccine, they are making lots of money. Yeah, and it's interesting too. That's a, a point that uh, I hadn't even ever really thought of the marketing uh, savings uh, associated with that. Because up until COVID, I never saw a commercial for a vaccine. But you see other pharma commercials constantly everywhere, uh, you know, magazines and TV and radio and podcasts and everywhere else. They're marketing these things to a, a huge expense. I mean, the, the, the amount of money pharma is dumping into drug marketing in this country is astronomical. But uh, yeah, once it gets approved, you don't need to market it anymore. It's a <clears throat> very, very and interesting. The overhead so now is we so have low a, for these things once they're approved. Uh, 
yeah, a product that doesn't need to be marketed and has no liability if it harms. So it's a it's talk about a win win business proposition. Perverse incentives, right? So there's and there's been really good research, Jared, showing that once that liability protection went into place with this captured market, safety has gone down, demonstrably has gone down um, of vaccines. There's perverse incentives here. Very interesting. So let's talk about the adverse um, events. So for people that aren't as familiar uh, with this debate and are trying to learn, uh, you know, both sides of this story, there is a system called VAERS. Now, people like the three of us that have been paying attention to this for a long time, of course, we've been familiar with VAERS, but VAERS got its own life almost during COVID uh, with a, a new website called Open VAERS that people were referencing on a regular basis that kind of distilled the information down uh, for the layperson that you could just simply see the numbers of all the potential um, or all of the reported uh, vaccine adverse events to the VAERS system. But VAERS has been around for a long, long time. And we've had evidence of vaccine injury for a long time. But there are some some issues with VAERS. Um, which of you would like to talk a little bit about VAERS for someone who maybe isn't familiar with the system and what it is and how it works and, and, and how you address it in the book? Sorry, go ahead. Okay, well, VAERS is um, largely voluntary because uh, physicians are supposed to report, but there's no downside for not reporting. It takes a lot of time. They don't get paid for that time to actually do a correct report. So most injuries are not reported. The manufacturers are supposed to report to VAERS, but when they do, they, their reports are largely incomplete and can't be reused for data collection. So right away, we have got a, a system that is not capturing real-time data the way it should. Unlike infectious disease, infectious disease reporting is done very quickly. As soon as a doctor sees a case of measles, they have to report it immediately. And the CDC tracks that very well. Vaccine injuries, completely different case. Vaccine, um, theirs is also a passive system. So there's no one going out there and collecting information. And that becomes really important when you're talking about devastating injuries. So Mary and I certainly know many people whose children particularly have experienced devastating injuries. A lot of these injuries have been reported to VAERS. No one has ever come back to these people and said, we're studying this event. We want to see what caused this event, why it happened, what about your child was it that, that this happened? What about this vaccine caused this to happen? None of that ever happens. And that is a crime. Well, it's an interesting thing because as a parent, I have to assume a, a parent who now has a, a child, uh, it's believed that the injury was caused, or I should say now has an injured child, uh, it's believed that the injured child uh, was injured by a vaccine. I would think in their mind when they're reporting that to the government uh, through the VAERS system that their hope is that the government is going to look into this. They're going to try and figure out how to prevent this type of injury from happening in the first place and hopefully also be looking at ways that they can maybe help the child who's been injured. That is exactly what should be happening and is not happening. No one is investigating these injuries. 
So this, so a report is put into VAERS and is anything happening after that report is filed at all? Not much is the short answer. So VAERS is run by both the CDC and the FDA. And it is shocking, um, especially in the context of COVID, where there has been over a million adverse event reports related to COVID shots and over 30,000 deaths reported. There is no follow-up, Jared. And one of the points that the book makes is that this adverse event reporting system is deficient by design. It's not being followed up. And basically the whole safety paradigm from the clinical trials to the adverse event reporting to the um, sort of the bias science that's being done, all of it obscures the real deficiency of safety of these products. So one of the things that people discovered with the COVID um, reports is that as Mary said, lots and lots of injuries have been reported to VAERS. Many, many, many that have overlapping symptoms where, where you see blood clots, you see heart is issues, you see strokes, you see very similar things. Those would be easily investigated. It would be easy to say, okay, this is happening. Why is this happening? No one is doing that with VAERS. There's actually one thing that, and I can't even remember what the name of it was, that has been definitively connected to COVID vaccines. And that was from scientists in Europe. The European scientists said, well, we're seeing this, this is connected to COVID. They did some research around it. They said it is co connected to COVID. And I think the one case that was passed through um, the, the CICP for, for that was the same thing from you. So, so like under the 86 Act, as I mentioned, the government with this liability protection set up what they said would be an adequate compensation program. So right now under Health and Human Services, there's a countermeasures injury compensation program. And it has, it has uh, designated six cases so far out of the millions and millions of doses. It has designated six cases as being compensable. We don't know that they've actually paid anything out. This is a sort of a com compensation of last resort. One case is for anaphylaxis. We know that some people are allergic to the ingredients in COVID shots, and that may cause them not to be able to breathe. And then five of the cases are myocarditis. They're heart-related. These are things that the government is acknowledging, but but not to say, don't take the shots, just to say, oh, there's this very rare. Is the, the standard line, Jared, just like safe and effective, the standard line is one in a million one in a million chance, very, very, very rare, not a reason not to take it. And that's from the vSafe data that our colleagues at ICANN um, made available through Freedom of Information Act, it looks more like 25% of people are having reported adverse events from getting COVID shots. That's unbelievably high. 25% is what it looks like the real rate is. We just, but again, these systems are deficient by design. We, I believe that the government has a lot better data. They just aren't making that available. They have about 10 different reporting systems, but the only one that's publicly available is the VAERS system. And as we've said, it's deficient by design. And they know that a very small percentage of adverse events are ever reported. One, one study that the government itself commissioned 
through this the Centers for Disease Control by the uh, Agency for Health Research Quality, they found that under 1% of vaccine adverse events are reported. This was a study in 2010, which is incredibly important. This was a government-sponsored report that looked at a particular health maintenance organization in Massachusetts, Pilgrim Health, and they found that under 1% of this machine learning adverse events from vaccinations were being reported. And then when they were confronted with this information, the CDC basically turned off the telephones. And the book, Turtles All the Way Down, covers this story. It is they intentionally don't do many studies, Jared. They intentionally don't do and report on a study of people who are vaccinated versus people who are unvaccinated. They intentionally don't do studies on people who've been harmed by vaccine. They intentionally don't do studies about the overall health of people who've been vaccinated versus not vaccinated. Because then they would have to acknowledge that these vaccines are hurting a lot of people, that they're causing health effects that people are not acknowledging. It's right. It's better to not know uh, exactly. than to know and then have to uh, hide, I suppose. And Mary knows from a legal perspective, should we ever get these people in court, that if they know, if they've got it in their emails, in their reports, that discovery is going to say they knew and then it becomes fraud. And willful. So so their, their intent not to know, Jared, is a very important component of all of this. They seek not to know the true reality of what these shots are doing. Because if we can prove knowledge in a legal sense, then it does become intentional, right? Then it is knowing or intentional. And so they choose not to know, which is um, willful blindness is also a legal concept that if you can prove that they sought not to know, that is a meaningful level of culpability. Um, but this whole paradigm, as this book really shows, by the end, it takes a very strong position that there are people in this paradigm, in pharma and in government, who do know what's going on. And this is a crime against humanity. This is something that is truly nefarious. It is harming more than it's helping. All right. So there's so much to unpack here. And this book is is fascinating. I can't, we can't wait to read the entire thing. Uh, just what I have been able to read has even from someone who's been paying attention to this and has read other books on vaccines, this, this might be the most comprehensive and needed book on the topic that I've seen. I'm really, really excited about it. And I'm so grateful to the two of you for putting your necks on the line a little bit, uh, bringing it to us here in America. So I, there are a couple of things that I definitely want to cover before I, before I hang up with, with you two. The first one is because I, I feel like parents need to understand the um, I'm not sure what the right term is, but we talk about disease and childhood disease and childhood infections and all of the things that are being vaccinated for. Uh, the The book addresses, I think, in a really, really meaningful way um, how vaccines were essentially given the credit for eradication of all types of childhood illness. And yet there's a lot of uh, scientifically uh, agreed to, I guess, uh, information that would indicate that vaccines had little to do with most of that. Yes, it's clear from the history that over 90% of mortality from infectious disease had, over 90% of it had been eliminated already before the modern vaccine era. 
and even before antibiotics. So the only things that can account for that huge a change are better sanitation, pure drinking water. Uh, we no longer have horses walking around city streets and dropping their excrement so that, you know, flies and whatever proliferate. Things like that, which seem like little things from our perspective were huge. They had a huge effect on the actual health of city citizens. And that's where most of the, the population was concentrated. In the country, people weren't getting the, these illnesses to the same extent because they weren't exposed on the same level as the city people. And the, so the city people, once the, they started to get clean drinking water and good uh, fresh food from refrigeration carts and things like that, Things changed dramatically for them. And that was before we had widespread vaccination of anything. So then what do we know or or what don't we know might be, might be a better question. I'm not sure which uh, about what childhood disease might look like without a vaccination program. Well, if you look at the graphs and the way they were dropping, vaccines made them drop a little faster. But essentially, we've already reached the point where they would have those those graphs looked like they would have dropped to essentially zero to where infectious disease really isn't killing a, a significant proportion of the population. So if we stopped vaccinating overnight for everything, we would see more cases of measles, maybe more cases of, of the flu. I'm not even sure about that one. We'd see more cases of chickenpox. We'd see more cases of the mumps. But would we see increased mortality? Probably not to any significant amount. Those ones we think, you know, measles, mumps, rubella, those are endemic. But things like that we don't vaccinate for, smallpox, yellow fever, cholera, those essentially were eradicated in the United States, Jared, because of sanitation, better nutrition, all of those issues. I think in truth, we, we don't really know in two decades what would happen with measles. It, it might remain as a childhood illness. And there's evidence that that actually strengthens a child's immune system. Or it might eventually, like the other infectious diseases, scarlet fever, yellow fever, it, it might disappear. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, but one chapter in the book deals with this disappearance of infectious disease and makes it very clear that this was not on account of shots, uh, on account of yeah. vaccine. It was on account Mary, of other factors. Mary makes a good point that there were a number of uh, diseases that cases of have largely disappeared even in the absence of vaccines, such as scarlet fever. We rare. I mean, the cases do exist, but it's so rare that it's not even on anybody's right. radar. I mean, tuberculosis. These are illnesses that did affect wide swaths of the population in the 19th century, and there are vaccines for smallpox and tuberculosis, but they're not used widely because they are very dangerous shots, and the cases are very few and far between. So I, I don't know what the science would show. What would happen? Measles, mumps, rubella, chickenpox. Those were childhood diseases that every child back in you know the from 1900 to 1950 got in the United States. I'm not sure what would happen to those really essentially mild illnesses. Would all vaccinations stop? It's not. I don't know the answer to that. 
But it's an interesting point, and I think I don't want to gloss over it, that there are a bunch of things that are not on the vaccine schedule that we used to deal with in large numbers in this country that we no longer deal with. And there are a lot of things on the vaccine schedule that we don't deal with much anymore also, right? And so not all of those were vanquished by vaccines, uh, certainly, and, and there has to be some correlation to all of the other advances. I just had a funny thing go through my head of what the propaganda may have looked like during COVID in the 1900s, the early 1900s, right? Uh, you know, six feet safe from horses, you know, or maybe it's 12 feet from horses and six feet from people. It, it, the imagination of uh, the uh, propagandists <laughs> uh, back then, I can't even imagine. Anyway, so now the next part of that question is, I think, maybe the most important question of all. I work at a health food store. Uh, my day job is helping people with everything from their, you know, little cold symptoms that they're dealing with to maybe somebody might come in with their baby with cradle cap and, you know, eczema and allergies and all these other things. And one thing that's really interesting because my history in this health food store is not a short history. I'm 50 years old and the store's been around since I was five. And I started there literally working when I was a little kid for my parents, and I grew up listening to people ask questions about all of the things that they were concerned about with their health. And then when I was 14 years old, so 36 years ago, my parents deemed me worthy to talk to customers and not just put things on the shelf. So then I started answering some of those questions. And the thing that has been shocking to me, and I know that there's all kinds of science, and I hope you'll touch on it when I uh, get through this very long question, uh, but just anecdotally, me listening to people coming in to Vitality Nutrition, asking questions about their ailments, the thing that has been the most shocking above anything else is all of the people coming in asking me what to do about their autoimmune disease. Everything from rheumatoid arthritis to lupus to uh, uh, I'm even trying Crohn's disease. And I mean, you name the autoimmune disease that somebody's dealing with. And I used to never have anybody ask about hardly any of those things. In fact, the only one that I can think of people asking me about 20 years ago or 25 years ago on a regular basis at all was rheumatoid arthritis. All this other stuff, it's almost like they're new diseases. And I want to know what your thoughts are and if how much the book might go into this. What, Where is all this coming from? Well, the book doesn't go into it, really. It just talks about that there is this rising tide of, um, of chronic disease and the CDC does not appear to be interested in it to any large extent, which is in and of itself damning um, because they're so interested in infectious disease and the infectious disease burden is for, for the most part, very minor in a child's life at this point. But now, the, as you say, the autoimmune diseases are rising and there is a great body of science right now on um, autoimmune disease. And interestingly uh to bring that up specifically because yehuda schoenfeld is probably the global expert on autoimmune disease and he's in israel <laughs> and actually posted in his medical journal that he is the the editor of a, a positive review of this book when it was in hebrew and he got slammed for it but he has been staunchly pro-vaccine all along and has even with um, knowing that there is a vaccination 
connection to autoimmunity because he has um, described this syndrome that is uh, abbreviated to ASIA, A-S-I-A, that is autoimmune disease induced by adjuvants, including the aluminum adjuvants that are contained in many vaccines. So that is a known connection that has been investigated by a number of mostly European and some Canadian uh, researchers that has been completely untouched in the United States, which is also very telling. And there is this large body of research now indicating that yes, these, particularly the aluminum adjuvants that are in many of these childhood vaccines are causing autoimmune disease. But one of the problems with that is that it can take years to develop the autoimmune disease. What these vaccines do is they start generate these autoantibodies, which build up over time and become a problem years later. But nobody connects the two because of the time lag. Yeah, I was just going to add that the last chapter of the book, Jared, um, deals with this to some extent. And it says that the much bigger issue for health around the world today is chronic disease. It's not infectious disease. And there's no attempt to identify the root causes. 84 cases of measles in Disneyland led to a global uproar over measles, whereas in the United States, 350,000 cases every year are diagnosed childhood chronic disease. And like these chronic illnesses, as you point out, are man-made, but to spotlight them would highlight the failure of modern industrial medicine. And so places like the CDC and the FDA and the NIH, they do everything conceivable to keep the spotlight off of these man-made illnesses that we do not fully understand. So it is a part of this huge cover-up and the book points to that. But the point of the book is to walk people through showing you that this is a fraud, that, that, that this, this allegation that this program is safe is absolutely fraudulent. There is no basis to say that this program is safe. And the book does that in a masterful way. One thing, I'm not sure if, if I remember um, if the book goes into it, but one thing I want listeners to understand is that a lot of these chronic diseases, we're talking allergies, we're talking asthma, we're talking autoimmune diseases. These are immune-mediated conditions. And a lot of the neurological stuff that's happening as well is are also immune-mediated. So one thing you got to look at logically is, what's changing the immune systems of large numbers of people? Well, the obvious choice is the things we're injecting into them to hyperstimulate their immune systems when they're zero to two years old. And yet we're not allowed to look at it. It's such a simple line to draw, and yet uh, not one that any of the people in uh, in power anyway are uh, drawing for sure. So then uh, with... To, to wrap this up, parents, you know, I have I have um, six kids, so I know a little bit about being a parent and uh, parenting to me, I'm sure the philosophies are different from parent to parent, but maybe something that's pretty universal is what can I do to do my very best to ensure safety and a healthy living uh, environment for my child? And 
we have been taught in America in particular, but, but maybe around the world uh, to a lesser degree, but it seems like in America we've really, really been shoved into this place of feeling like the way I protect my child is to get him to the doctor for his well baby checkup uh, every time that he's supposed to be in there. And that, to me, has always been such a strange thing to even call that visit. Why would you take your well baby to a doctor? I thought we were to take our doc, our kids to doctors when they were not well. Um, and yet when we talk about the overwhelming desire of parents to keep their children safe, and then we talk about a program that is in place that we are told is safe and effective and it is the way to protect our children, it's obvious to me why most parents just do those things. So the tide is, in terms of people having their eyes open, is certainly turning to a very large degree, and thank you, COVID, to a large extent. And then books like this are thankfully available for parents who want to dig into it. But what do you think it's going to take for more parents and more doctors, because I think that's really, really critical, to start questioning this safe and effective narrative and start getting the word out so that more people are actually reading books like this and not just essentially doing as they're told? It's a big question. I know, I know, and I'm hoping you have an answer because I don't. (laughs) Well, I'll start. Um, One of the wonderful things during COVID is that the doctors, the mainstream doctors who've awakened during COVID, like Drs. McCullough and Malone and Corey and Merrick, They are now reading this book, Turtles All the Way Down, and they are coming to understand that COVID's not one off and that this is endemic to the program. So I do think open-minded doctors are now starting to understand how serious, and not just doctors, I think they're journalists. I think people are starting to understand. We at Children's Health Defense have a daily online newspaper, The Defender, and it's free and people can sign up at our website, childrenshealthdefense.org, and they can get the latest information every day about COVID, about the childhood schedule, about other toxic exposures to children, whether it's chemical or whether it's uh, environmental with radiation or whether it's um, you know all kinds of different exposures. So I think that's one way we also have an online television platform, CHDTV. Um, I think that also gives people information. We also have an advocacy portal of our website that has all kinds of brochures and things. I think it's really important to have conversations with your doctor about this topic. And the book, Turtles All the Way Down, includes sections at the end of many chapters, questions to ask your doctors and the way that you would respond given what's likely their response. So I do think engaging the medical community is absolutely essential to where we are right now. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors are not independent though. So that's one of the the problems we face is that doctors are are now, um, they're dependent on their practices. They're dependent upon the insurance companies to a large extent, because that's where they're getting their, their compensation from. And they, are getting in trouble from their um, their boards if they step too far out of line. So it's it's tricky for doctors. So I think it's very important for parents to understand. This is what I used to tell parents. 
understand that modern medicine is not your friend when it comes to raising a healthy child. You know, people think that it is, you know, they think that I can trust my, my pediatrician, but you can't. Your pediatrician comes out of this paradigm, this corporate captured, corrupt paradigm. And even no matter how well-meaning they are, and I, I think most pediatricians are well-meaning, they're not going to be able to buck the system or even see that they need to buck the system to a large extent. As a parent, you have to take that responsibility on yourself because otherwise you're, you could be up a creek. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. And Mary, I'm really glad you brought that up. The sections at the end of the chapters that do have the questions for your doctor, I think that's really awesome uh, information there. I, I read through each one of those, and those are simple and yet powerful and important questions that need to be posed because to some degree, I think it will build awareness in the medical community uh, with the pediatricians themselves. Cause I agree. I mean, I I'm not so cynical yet to believe that every doctor is only in it for the money and that their desire is primarily, let's just get as much money out of this family as I possibly can. I believe that people go into this practice largely because they want to help their fellow man and they, and, and with pedia pediatrics, especially because they love kids. Most likely that doctor loves kids, probably has kids of his own and wants to help children. And so that's why they choose, you know, that particular line of work. And so awareness needs to be the biggest thing. And it does have to start with the parent because the buck with your child's health in stops with you anyway, right? Not with your doctor or their doctor. So this, uh, this book is so, so good. It's, um, like I say, I haven't read the entire thing yet. What I have read is phenomenal. I'm so excited to read the rest of it. And the early reviews are fantastic. The uh, people that put this together have obviously done their homework in a significant way. Uh, I think you mentioned there's over 1,200 references which, by the way, when you buy the book, you get the references. Uh, you can download them as a, as a PDF, I believe. Is that accurate? Uh, so you can go through and you can reference everything. It's all backed. Uh, it's all very, very well uh, laid out and studied. And it's not really anyone's opinion. It's just what's happening and what the truth is. So thank you both for coming on Vitality Radio today. I sure appreciate it. Are there any parting words that either of you would like to leave with the, the listening audience? Just I hope people will, I, I hope people will get the book. It's available. It's a self-published book, so it's available on Amazon. It's also available on Jeremy Hammond's platform, um, but you do have to order it online. You won't find it in a bookstore. But I highly recommend for people who are interested in having one clear, well-resourced, readable book about the childhood schedule. I, I really put this one at the top of the list. Also, a caveat because. Um... I'm hearing more and more reports about this. The independent bookstores are saying that they can order it for you. And what they're ordering, unfortunately, so far is a fake book that someone has taken our cover and put it on John Green's novel. And they're sending that out through these independent bookstores. And so we have to nail that down, but we haven't nailed it down yet. So do be aware. Look for um, Turtles All the Way Down and make sure you include the subtitle Vaccine, Science, and Myth. 
Yes, and and that's actually a really great point because I was Googling about trying to uh, get some information on the book, and I did come across the novel um, much, much more easily than I came across your book. So it's Turtles All the Way Down. That's the primary title, and then Vaccine Science and Myth. Uh, what I did to find it was type in Turtles All the Way Down, and then I typed in your two names, Mary Holland and Zoe O'Toole, and I was able to find it right away. So either one of those, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll put a link to it in the show description as well, because I want everybody that is within the sound of my voice to read this book. It's, it's something that needs to be read. It's an absolutely, uh, powerful and comprehensive um, collection of information that really does call in, not just into question, but proves that there's a severe lack of safety uh, when it comes to the childhood uh, vaccination schedule. And that was prior to them just adding the beloved COVID vaccine. So it's not getting any better and we need to make some changes right away. All right. Thank you so much to both of you. Zoe, it was a pleasure meeting you for the first time. Mary, it's good to see you again. Uh, Keep up the good work. And I'll say this to you listening to the show today. I mentioned this last week, uh, and this will be the second time I've ever said it. (laughs) on Vitality Radio. I I consider myself a charitable individual. I like to help out and give where I can, but in today's world of nonprofits that uh, who knows what anybody's, where the money's going or what it's doing, there are just a few organizations that I'm willing to actually donate to, and Children's Health Defense is one of those. Um, And uh, I Can uh, with Dell Big Tree from the last show that we did uh, is another. There are just a handful of organizations that I feel truly do with the money uh, what is for the greater good, and Children's Health Defense is one of those organizations. So I encourage you to uh, sign up for the newsletter. It is excellent. It's it's so much information, and, and it is daily. If you can keep up with it, good for you. I can't, but I definitely, <laughs> I definitely read all the headlines and I read many of the articles. And frankly, a lot of the articles are articles that uh, end up uh, getting mentioned here on Vitality Radio. So it's a great resource that I use as well. And with that, I'll uh, close the show. Zoe O'Toole, Mary Holland, uh, Children's Health Defense, and the book, Turtles All the Way Down, Vaccine Science and Myth. Go get your copy. Thanks for joining me today on Vitality radio. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that was the interview with Mary Holland and Zoe O'Toole. I really enjoyed that interview. I don't know either of these ladies very well, and Zoe, you know, I just met, but uh, I do know their work, and their work speaks volumes about the individuals that they are. Thrilled that they were willing to come on my podcast and talk about their book, Turtles, all the way down. I'm going to do my best to get that book available in my shop, Vitality Nutrition. They aren't currently doing that, but I asked them about it after the interview and they said they would look into getting me uh, some copies that I can have available for you in the store. In the meantime, if you're one of those people that gets anxious about it, just go order it. Uh, They gave you the directions there and I would highly, highly recommend that you do that. Um, But um, if you do want to check it out at the shop, hopefully I'll have it in the next few weeks. No promises. Uh, It's not part of their normal publishing deal, I guess. So anyway, that's it. Um, And I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it and it is something that you feel needs to be shared, please share it. 
that's the best way that we can build an audience for these truths is to get the word out to as many people as we can. Person to person is the most effective way I know. If you have questions about anything you heard, call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or check us out at vitalitynutrition.com. Or check me out on IG, Instagram, at Vitality Radio or at Vitality Nutrition Bountiful. I'd love to talk to you at either one of those places. Thank you so much for listening to me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. The FDA has not evaluated this podcast. This podcast is provided with the understanding that information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for care by a medical professional. Thank you.